Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Get Out of Rap. Today, I'm joined by Eugene Neal, who is the Director of Business IT and CX Engineering at uh, Love Holidays. Eugene, thanks very much for joining me today. Thank you for having me, Martin. I think it um, should be an interesting conversation. I think so as well, definitely. I know there's um, you guys are great advocates. So, Sabio, you've been doing some great work together and we're going to get into that but i'd like to start as is our as is our want on this show with um a little bit about you first really what you you can tell anyone that can see your linkedin profile can see you've worked with some really um great companies but where did it all start for you um i don't know if i want to take you right back to the uh, beginning of the uh, inception <laughs> moment of my career um, it actually started, I used to, many years ago, I was a, studying to be a chef, and then I discovered the, in, interesting story, discovered the internet, mm. and the fact that we were try, a company was trying to bring the internet free to the UK, and I actually started in a contact centre with an internet free service, they were called back then, um, one of the first sort of uh, dial-up free to use at the point of consumption uh, internet service companies, and really got an interest both in technology and contact centers. So that was right back at the end of the 90s. Um, but I've been wow. around it ever well, since. <laughs> so you, you were training as a chef though before that? Yes, I um, had this thought that I love food. Who doesn't? Eating is one of life's natural joys. But um, I then also realized that it would be nice to um, have a life and actually be able to <laughs> on my birthday and their birthdays. So I um, decided to put that down. So this, this combination then of um, the internet technology and contact centers, has that been like a, the two have run along together throughout your career? Yeah, completely. Uh, I really haven't been able to separate them. So I continued my growth from working with FreeServe and working, working how to, out how to support their customers, which interestingly, the deeper I got into the technical layer, it's, a company called Planet Online at the time behind it all. But actually, the more you understood of the technology behind something, the better you could be there for the customers with the ultimate outcome of being, you didn't need to engage with the customers directly. The best customer service would be doing your job well. Um, but they're, they're inherently linked. And actually, contact centers are one of the best indicators of when you're not doing your job well and need to improve the other side. So for my, yeah, my entire career, so right the way through being a junior network administrator, right up into the sort of e-com scale up and breakouts that we've done, um, it's been a theme of my professional life. And you, that kind of um, trajectory upwards, getting more senior roles and then moving on and on and on. What would you what would you want to share with people who might be listening who have a similar kind of interest and and passion as you? And, and by the way, I love the idea that contact centres are indicators of where you are in terms of your customer service. I think that's the first time I've heard that, and it it resonates straight away. But in terms of you and kind of the secret to your success, as it were, what what would you put that down to? It's uh, hard to answer that without feeling somewhat arrogant. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not good at being arrogant. Uh, honestly, I've, I am genuinely obsessed with the fact that, so even running IT service centers, so I've run big IT support organizations for companies of the like of Microsoft, 
but actually being able to listen to an audience and then affect change, be connected with, if you're externally, you'd call it your customer, internally your user. But being being able to somehow translate that need of the user into the service delivery of an organization, I've stuck to that fairly rigorously and talked about it in the same way I'm talking to you today for the last 20 years. I think that's led to that steady growth of actually, can you change systems to help customers? Yes, you can. Can you make better systems to help customers at the point when they need help? I know it's become an area of it that I'm, I think I'm an expert in. I'm not 100% sure because the world continues to change. But, um, and actually just sort of sticking to the, the principles around it. It's been, yeah, I have been obsessed with it for many years. So it's, I haven't chopped and changed. I've stuck to those those core values. Um, I think that's really interesting. And it's, I, I think it's probably going to be reassuring for people to, to listen to that. Because if you, if you genuinely care and you, you you're genuinely interested and have this obsession as you say then you will find yourself getting bigger and bigger areas of responsibility bigger challenges to face and if you have that because it's ultimately what you're describing is you've got a growth mindset right yeah very much open to <laughs> it's not always the easiest place to occupy those growth mindsets especially we'll to come on to some parts of the later story of with love holidays but there's been some real interesting challenges but yeah it's growth mindset coupled with i'm never the best at talking with numbers ironically i was just talking to someone about this shortly before you but actually seeing the story and seeing the narrative and something helping people connect with it i um, argue if you've got great people around you could also add the numbers but maybe if you're the individual can do the numbers as well that's even more powerful um but getting people connected with it not just you learning but keeping people on the journey with you is so important yeah, I love that. We're kindred spirits when it comes to to numbers. I'm much more about storytelling than the numbers. If someone's if someone can work with me on the numbers, happy days. <laughs> yes, we need the same supporting people. <laughs> yeah. For sure. Yeah, definitely. So then let's let's bring it up to date then and um, love holidays. I mean, where where's the best place to start with that? Um, I think telling you the honest story of how I ended up at Love Holidays because I think it sets into a really good uh, focus or background the what we're doing today so I had been working at uh, I, my previous career I transitioned from joining uh, U-Switch to help scale that up so it could be sold from its current owners onwards we succeeded in that moving on to the Zoopla Property Group and then Zoopla Property Group invariably grew and actually got delisted it was a public company at the time i was just looking for something new and interesting to do partly because silver lake were one of the p's who brought it. the organization had had experience of working with it before in my microsoft days and just wanted to try a new adventure to be honest um love holidays was interesting because i when i met them it was 2019 and they were the fastest growing company in the uk in any sector wow not just the travel sector and um, so they had numbers that looked like they genuinely made up their sales and revenue figures. <laughs> Just a, a ridiculous spreadsheet of high growth, which made them appealing. But the bit that made them really interesting when I met their founder and actually talked about some of their biggest challenges, he spoke to me about um, 
contact center platforms, contact centers, customer service, the fact that a startup, they hadn't invested in these areas and he was on the tipping point of having to make, he got a large consultancy involved to help him make decisions on what to do in that area. And he was extremely open to just passing that baton over. And that actually is what sealed it with Love Holidays and why a couple of people joined me because their contact center systems were coming to the end of their contract and needed change. So it's this high growth, big customer base and contracts are in the perfect place because we've all been in organizations where you've got great ideas of change and you're constrained by typically in telecommunications and contact centers. Contracts can be kind of long. So they could have a great idea and you might need to sit on it for three years, which can be really frustrating. Um, so it's the perfect company and the perfect time and it's contract life cycle as well, which I've told that story on stage a few times. It feels so weird to say you joined a company because a contract was expiring, but it was a, one of the decision-making factors. So and just that energy I, as well. I can, best. I, can, I can see how appealing that would be given, um, I'm sure it wasn't carte blanche, but you have a um, someone saying, we want to utilize your skills and choose the right platform at a critical point in our um, the journey of the company. It, it sounds exciting, but also a hell of a lot of responsibility. Um, how did you go about it? Um, maybe, I'm just realizing I said I had a problem with being arrogant. Maybe I'm not that, maybe I'm actually more arrogant than I realized. I had a plan for how we were dealing with it before we arrived. Um, we, in my previous role, had been playing. So at ZPG, we were condensing contact centers because we brought a lot of companies and we're trying to pull them together to be able to operate in the same way. And actually what I'd realized is that I wanted to build configurable contact centers. I, I, over my career, I've been a certified Ericsson engineer, Cisco engineer, Siemens Realtis engineer, even back in the dawn of time. But they all lacked one thing, which was they're really kind of separate from the business. They ran under, I have the title of director mm. of business IT. That's where they, all those systems have run for years separate from the software development and the customer experience. So I knew when I joined Love Holidays, what I wanted to do was actually move to a configurable contact center and bind that into the software engineering culture, teams of the business. Um, and I'd already picked Twilio as being the sort of market leader to do that with. I'd been talking to Twilio at PG and got to learn their products quite well. So I came in with a real focus plan of it will be Twilio. And actually in the very early days, wrote a vision of a brighter future document for the executive of how Twilio would change their world. So maybe a tiny bit of arrogance on joining. No, well, I, you, you said something at right at the outset, really, and it was about bringing people with you. And that um, that doc, that visioning document piece must it plays right into that in terms of here's a vision. I want to share it with you. So it doesn't seem like it's just some arbitrary dry process. And the and the, the concept of configurable um, contact centers, I, I love. Can you just talk for, for people that might not have heard that phrase? You just talk about what that what in essence that means for you. Yeah, sure. So it's um I've talked about Twilio, but it's not really about Twilio. It's the actual being able to be software defined. So nothing in the world stays static. Nothing in the needs of your customers stay static. Uh, large contact centers generally remain fairly static. And it's because of the, ability, the innate abilities of the compute systems in 
those contact centers. You don't have software engineering writing custom code over the top. So configurability is being able to be defined in the code layer of your business. So very robust and big telecommunications modules put on by CCAS organizations. I talk about Twilio, but there are other great companies as well. Big fan of MessageBird, for example, and UJet. Those are really interesting stuff. Um, but actually being able to adapt and change that to not just the needs of your customer today, but actually write it in a considerate way that it would be very malleable and quick to change over time. But interestingly, the, the biggest part of configurability for me is that we've been able to build our content center around the rest of our business. So our data sets, our custom platforms are the heart of the contact center. So it take it completely changes our interaction with our business, with our customers, sorry, that we know them. We know them in exactly the same as if you log into a website, you'd expect it to know all about you and everything you brought. Now our contact center does. That's a piece of software as well. And as we introduce new bits to the business, it grows with it. So that's great. Because it, it again and it means that there's not these kind of silos that I guess does that if you don't have that then that creates those situations that I think are common to a lot of us, especially, you know, my background is kind of operations and you often felt like we were being tacked on to other parts of either the business or, or technology. And from the first things you were having to do was to do workarounds to make, to make how you interacted with customers work as opposed to it being all, all joined up and that kind of flexibility that you talk about. Yeah, I know organizationally in the, the alignment of uh, mindsets, I think we've still got some way to go in that journey, or, but that's now unblocked by the organizational alignment of technologies. So we actually can, me and the director of CX, can start thinking about things as very shared problems and we can actually talk to the person who heads up our digital product team and they become a fluid, easy conversation. They don't not asking for favors anymore it's not there's no clear lines it's a very blurred world that we've created which is good because it actually over time puts one thing into focus and that's the customer you're actually just yeah. all focused you're not trying to do your different functions for your own reason you're all focused on the customer it's nice it's it is working we've still got ways to go i'm not going to claim to have mastered the organizational setup to make what we've created in technology so far run perfectly but that blurring and then coming together to work to a common um, with common aims must uh, you're, you're providing a perfect environment for creativity, right? Yeah, yeah, yes, very much so. Uh, it's kind of yeah, creativity, a lot of conversation, plenty of disagreement, and then that's that is the place where innovation can be born, right? And actually, mm. really good, strong conversations. You don't need everyone to be agreeing you just need them to be discussing and engaged with each other mm. the organization there's nothing be... worse than what there's nothing worse or more dangerous than artificial harmony is there if you have um if you have a mutual respect and in like you say i couldn't have put it better myself in in disagreement you can find some real progress yeah i've generally found harmony only comes don't need to understand each other's context enough to disagree about it um, yeah. <laughs> so you use the term fake harmony I think harmony is the um, blissful sign of some ignorance 
<laughs> Definitely. So you've got the you're setting up the configurable um, contact center. What what was next? What are the key? What were the key steps on the on the journey? Two and a half years of adventure. Can I sum it up in two sentences? So, key things that we. I think the really key thing was actually gaining. It's very hard to come out of an enterprise or a business IT team with something as terribly unexciting as a as a phone system, um, and get software engineering on board. Um, that was our first key step. And I was really fortunate that I had a principal engineer who got it very early on and could see the fact that it was something interesting and simple to work on, to affect change, um, and helped me spread it through the community of software engineering. Um, I know that sounds like an odd first step, but buying from software engineering, yeah. really important. It needs to be, need to feel like a respected profession. Um, once we'd achieved that, actually change came really, really fast, partly, um, really opportunistically the pandemic forced change there was no way we could have gone slower and we didn't have the setup to be able to cope with the huge demands that were put on our business by the contact center the travel industry perhaps bore the brunt of the pandemic yeah I wouldn't say more there's a few industries up there with us but you know very heavily hit all of our every single customer is disrupted so you can imagine the needs for customer service during those times is it's unprecedented. So it gave us the ability to sort of really speed up what we we're going to do with Twilio and the configurable contact center. Um, we introduced layers of automation to clinically handle people and actually get through huge demands. It even gave us the ability, and I know this sounds really strange, but working with the configurable contact center gave us the first ability in a crisis to understand our true demand which could be really hard, the, the level of um, infrastructure scalability for a company of our size to be able to do that is huge. And we were able to yeah. do it the first time to realize there is no way in with human power we could have kept up, but even being able to measure it is quite an interesting feat. Um, that kind of stress test, I mean, just you, you, started, you started to do this and then the pandemic hits. And like you say, there can't have been like many other industries that were impacted as, as, as much as you, but the, the learnings that you took from that, even in a period of high, high pressure, I imagine it must have been, um, have, they, have you been able to deploy them now? Yeah, we have. And it's, it's really interesting. What, <laughs> what we learned is the fact that we, I always wanted to be able to create a content center that scale. I always wanted to be able to be software defined to help the customer on their experience. And what we found that we really don't need is a content center to help people. You need answers. You need access to those answers really quickly to be able to help. And that stuck with us. So for everyone who's ever heard me talk publicly on anything, what we learned is weirdly, we wanted to be able to do personalized customer service in a way that wasn't the visual UI of a website, because it's clearly not working for the people who try and contact your contact center. But we also found we, we couldn't do that at scale with humans. So we've, we've kind of, our learning of the pandemic was you've got to be, being software defined is awesome, being um, able to really design your contact center however you like. But if you really want to actually help customers, you've got to take everything you've learned and actually work out 
a very clever way of automating it and changing. That's really, you want to keep your agents. So like I'm not on a mission to get rid of contact center yeah. agents. They're the, they're the most prized possession of a contact center, right? Because they're the people that can convert the most complicated and the most emotive things for people. But you want to be able to help your customers not have yeah. to wait for those experts yeah. in times when it should just be, they, you could say it should just be obvious in the website. But if you're not a visual person, it needs to be obvious in another way. And that's usually in conversation. Yeah. That's why people are contacting yeah. contact centers. And we've been focused on how to do, that was our biggest learning out of the contact center. How do you do conversation at scale to help customers preferably without any delay at all um and that's become our obsession or yeah our obsession there's a team on it with me it's not just me on a crusade so <laughs> um, we've learned a lot that's the key thing we've taken away also we've taken uh, like we touched on it really briefly but actually the contact center is the powerhouse it's the engine of business change like if we've we talked about all the way through, we want to build preferable contact centers to help our customers. The answer is actually the different one that the contact center has the answer of how to help our customers because it knows when failures occurring and it can highlight them. So we've, I think we're like the key that one of the other key things we've learned is that the data coming out of the contact center is the engine of change for the whole business. And we've really harnessed that in our holidays that we're now using them. Um, lots of data sets driven directly out of the contact center to change everything from we even started to talk about stop sell on certain products that drive too much customer service interactions but doing these you know in the moment reviews stuff for, with, with data to be able to look at everything is the ui actually failing yes if there's something that should be obvious in hundreds of thousands or people are contentious about it we should be we should change that really quickly and actually those there's always been available to us in the context sense about how do you surface that data meaningfully uh, we've been a lot about that and changing our approaches to that to make it more consumable and powerful for the business so you've been using data sets to have a, a more immediate impact from the contact center on the product mix or how products are actually uh, yeah. presented to customers that's the real bleeding edge. We're starting to think about a couple of our products. We could see them through their life cycle from sale to support, mm. but the the real quick, the, the area where we've become a lot more mature and I think is bring that down a bit from not just sale down into support. So if we are seeing a lot of support requests for in our industry, flight check-in is a big area. You know? It's mm. the moment of uh, truth where people check <laughs> yeah. in and off they go. Um, if we're getting a load of people wanting to speak to a contact center about that, what does that mean? It means there's something wrong further up in the digital product, because that should be, by this point in the 21st century, that should be easy for most people of most ages. Um, and if they're not, it probably means our approach to it is somehow a little off, not connecting with people. We can learn and change and adapt based on what a contact center is hearing. Um, and we've accelerated that to the point it's, it's a big strategy driver for us now the data coming out of the contact center where before it was just a the contact center was a cost and uh yeah the must have now it's become a really valuable tool just for the data alone that is driving that's brilliant i love that there's something else you said then as well around um personalizing conversations but without the without the need for that to be 
delivered through humans. How did you do that? <laughs> this gets into my my proper obsession. So conversational AI, chatbots is where it started. Um, it's a story, it's a well-told story by me, but when we were very early on in the pandemic, which the Frigable Concert Center bound into our data, we launched a service called the Refund Line. And you can pretty much guess without me telling you what it does. It helps people <laughs> register for a refund from a holiday product that they're not going to be able to take due to the pandemic. Um, mm. And it didn't work. <laughs> it worked technically. You're able to call the service three minutes. You got confirmation of your refund, how much it would be in the bank account it was going into, followed up with an SMS. Like, technically very good. Um, mm -hmm. Anyone could call it. Uh, thousands of people at the same time could call it. But they all called back a week later because it seemed too easy. It was like, did I really just get a holiday refunded in three minutes and a text message? Uh, probably not. I better give them another ring. Um, and there was something missing. It was that kind of... We talk about the value of agents, but it's that conversation, that reassurance piece yeah. that agents do. So we um, started to play with, we'd, I've done work on chatbots before, but very minimal. And I've also done, you know, everyone's worked on linear chatbots, which aren't intelligent in any way. I think most of us gave up on those towards the end of the, the beginning of the 2020s. I think they were pretty much dying. Um, so we went into conversational AI with Google and really started to, with the help of some people from Sabio as well, started to really investigate how we could actually at scale help customers in a conversational manner. The piece we've up till now invested in just agents to do, but actually giving that reassurance. And we've got obsessed with it and we've got quite a lot of success from it. And I genuinely think we're helping a lot of customers as well. We read a lot of feedback where it's, it's quick, it's efficient, it knows, knows the answers I need. And that's what we want. Customers want to solve problems. And it's really starting to help. It's, it's fascinating. It's fascinating, isn't it, that the a process that's working really well, that can cope with scale, it's something about human nature then, that the ease of it disturbed people, that they needed another level of reassurance. Did that reassurance come, and, and that is a reassurance then done through the personalization part that kind of just does some other layers of, oh, can you just tell me that this is where you were going and these are the dates you were leaving and what, what was it? Yeah, I think you've, you've hit the nail on the head to a degree. So the interesting thing is that we talk about um, great customer service and people talk, uh, I don't know when it is that people are harping back to, I'm not sure if it's the 1930s or the 1950s, <laughs> but it's this great era where people, especially in travel, and I know, but I know it's true in other sectors, having worked in other sectors, people are like used to get greeted by name and so and so. They knew about your family, and I don't know when that was. It hasn't existed in my life. <laughs> yeah, same. I'm not that young. I'm not that old either. But so I assume they're harping back to. I'm going with the 1950s for today. Why not? And actually, yeah. what we've achieved. So that automation had that ability. It knew everything about everybody, but it couldn't convey that to anybody. It just was very passive. And with conversational AI, we've sort of been able to move from the chatbot era, which is really those automations and logic flows, which were very cold, into 
if you contacted us, Martin, we would be able to greet you by name and know some of those 1950s-style details about you. The fact you'd been on holiday or the fact you were going on holiday, where it was, who your flight provider was, but lots of things that may not be essential, but are really reassuring. If you're greeted by name, yeah. the tone is right for the fact you're going on holiday tomorrow. <laughs> it helps. It's, yeah. um, it just sets people's mind at ease. Um, and it does, it does seem to be that fact of like, I want to call it hyper-personalization, but I think that's really to say how bad automation has been. I think it's just personalization. Um, knowing all about you and the product that you've consumed from our business and being able to talk about it from many different angles, which you can do with conversation like that, has really helped and is really helping customers find that reassurance. Uh, and it can scale. The genius of conversational AI is the, the ML model that you've got in it that's learning all the weird and wonderful ways that people can say the same thing, um, which are building chatbots never got anywhere close. Building digital assistance gets us there because actually me and you will never ask for the same thing in the same way. I probably won't ask for the same thing the same way twice. Um, been able to to learn and bake that in and we're still learning it so mm-hmm. and into new markets we're going to have to start learning it all again but um, yeah. that, that's a, a very very good point if my um, my children often take the mickey out of me just about how I will order things through either a Costa or a McDonald's drive through when the order is the same something happens to my brain when I'm in that position and I ask for the all over the place so it's a it's a it's a very good point about how we use our our language yeah and that's honestly i think it's the sole one of the biggest reasons we'll always have people yeah i'm going to be able to deal with a certain level at uh with ai but when it becomes down to the interest of emotion nobody puts things in logic is not an approach it's very human it's very unstructured mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. SAI is getting better at taking unstructured and finding intent or meaning from it. But humans are incredible at that. They can do it. You don't need to train them. They can do it naturally. They can see patterns in the chaotic. And they can find intent in the utterly bizarre sometimes. Um, <laughs> yeah. And, yeah, that's why we need, again, I've, I, I always think it's important because I work with hundreds of agents i don't have an obsession of getting rid of agents I yeah. have an obsession with mm-hmm. wanting to see agents work on the really complex or the really emotive that you, machines mm-hmm. whether they're right or wrong are probably inappropriate to be going and solving mm-hmm. um yeah it's i don't know maybe if we're successful at love holidays we'll successfully bring back the 1950s but it'll have the voice of a Maybe it'll be the 1950s view of the future that we're in. We'll have a robotic <laughs> front end of it. Like a Pathé News kind of voice. <laughs> I'm definitely going to make that the subject to uh, copyright the, the uh, voice of my uh, contact centre, the received pronunciation. Yeah. Go so you, you mentioned something as well that's interesting there was the terminology that you used, um, that it wasn't, chatbots you had a pre- you said digital assistance why yeah. the distinction i'm still i have a half 
maybe it's even further. I have an answer, but I'm still evolving my thinking on it. And I think a lot of people are as well. I'm not. So chatbots were functional things. They were logic trees. So you could, you could have a, a robotic conversation along a certain line with it. A digital assistant can offer a whole range of things that you may or may not have plotted out and be thinking of even as a customer when you start off. So for example, our digital assistant, who's called Sandy, because we're a holiday company and we're very clever. Nice. <laughs> yeah. Subject to some arguments, I wanted to call it Athena, but I got overruled because apparently that was a silly posh name. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm not silly or posh. I just looked it up on Google who the goddess of travel. Um, but the, an assistant can offer you thing, more things than you think you perhaps needed. So, for example, if you're talking about, about your flights to India, you need vaccines, you need a, a fairly strict visa process. And those mm. terms of business change all the time, how you do those things. And our assist, digital assistant can go branch off into those conversations. So you can cover the core things that you would want to charter agents to talk about, or even an old school chatbot, that core logic, but actually can bleed it out into being everything a customer might need so yes you may be talking about changing a flight time but when somebody changes a holiday maybe they change season they're traveling in and we know we know that people on average take two suitcases rather than one if you travel in the winter clothes are bigger um your digital assistant could talk about that with people could actually branch out these conversations doesn't have to wait to just be asked. It can actually almost, <laughs> don't want to use the word opinion, but it can proactively put out answers and help people. And we've kind of become used for it from Google. I don't know how many people are big users of the Google Assistant, but if you ask a Google, if you say goodnight to your Google Assistant, it, you can have a whole routine of things it will do behind the scenes. So it's more than just the one simple functional instruction you gave to a chatbot. It can be a series of associated consequences and conversations but no i think it's into the future of a lot of not just contact centers but customer service in general um people wanting that i don't know about you but i'm somewhat over reading long and strangely in all differently structured websites as a part of somebody's brand i actually just want information and i think digital assistants have that ability to say hey tell me about my holiday and they just break it down to the information you need and yeah rounding halo of facts which to read can be somewhat tiring mm. yeah work. because you're you'll never get in your way through sales text you could be you just want the key information don't you yeah legal disclaimer sales texts uh marketing language brand language all very important mm. chatbot's got to have a tone of voice and match to your brand but Perhaps you don't use quite as many words. So we've, websites are very, ours included, lovely things. We try and simplify them as much as possible. But in the visual language, there's a depth issue. If you're going to navigate yeah. it, you've automatically, therefore, you're going through several different visual interfaces to get there. I don't think you see the same at the conversational assistant sort of level. Yeah. A bit more to the point. And what have you been able to get, um, Sandy? brackets athena to to do <laughs> athena died <laughs> no, none of the two R.I.P. Yeah, yeah no one wanted to see her come to the fall i say her don't really have a gender we've written a backstory of sandy it's deliberately named 
non-gendered just a thing mm. um sorry say your question again my brain went off onto names not what if, uh, <laughs> what has <laughs> what has sandy been able to to do that's kind of um that might surprise us or even if it didn't surprise you Oh no! It, it's all been a surprise. <laughs> like, we, uh, we we don't we genuinely. I say that in the best way though. Everything should be uh, the sort of evolution of learning, and working with chatbots has been a real evolution of learning. But I'm looking at a number of number. So our chatbot can help around about thirty percent of all of our query types. So which doesn't sound like wow. a lot. Yeah, and I say query type. So if you think of it as a demand profile of a contact center, 30% you can just take out and act on with a conversational AI and actually help quickly. No queuing, mm. very quick mm -hmm. get the answer. And that's 30% before we've got into being what I would call really smart about it. Like we're not we're not making tons of API calls to make things happen. This is this thirty percent advisory work. It's helping people mm. understand something they've seen somewhere on the website. It's helping people understand some bigger context of travel, or just to answer a simple question. Thirty percent, which is yeah, it's huge. I had never, yeah. I did not think we'd get to thirty percent. We're about to move into the world of out of advisory and into action as well by upgrading our conversational. AI to being on a much more grown-up platform. We're moving to the CX platform, primarily so we can preserve state and make better logic decisions. Um, and then we'll be able to take an action, and I'm interested to see how far we can go with that. But the biggest surprise is how far it would go. We generally thought we could help five, yeah. maybe 10% at a real stretch. Yeah, that'd be great. But actually, 30% of everything coming into a contact center on any given day, to be precise, I said I'm not a numbers person, but we're at 28.85 month on month last month of all wow. questions actually able to be answered by us with a conversational AI. And does that just even by achieving that, does it then mean that it's um that number's just gonna keep going up? Yeah. I think there's, I do you think there's those categorizations I gave you? So 30% of all question types, that means our chatbot now does equal work to all of the agents in our business. And we've left, we've left them the other topics, obviously. So it's already de delivering huge value to contact center efficiency and agent handling efficiency. So, because we don't have to queue, which leads to a great customer mm. experience. No queue equals Definitely. great customer experience. So they kind of... I think now to go on to the next one is moving into that action layer, which has been there's a huge interest of uh, sort of how do you trust a bot to make good decisions there? But it's APIs at the end of the day, and we just have to make sure we've got the business intent right. Um, but I think with that, we I think once you move into that world, I don't know where the limit is to be honest with you, Martin. I wow. I even think you could change things as having this conversation with people over a year ago, but like. Wouldn't it be interesting to talk to a bot about marketing preferences? We all want to be able to market to people. But actually, after a successful interaction with a website, we're very used to being asked to opt into marketing materials. Mm. Wouldn't it be interesting if a bot basically tells you up front, you're a digital mm. assistant, hey, we don't trust each other, and I can see you're not opted into marketing. If I help you, can I send you a few promotions that I pick for you? Um, and 
you could change the yeah. interactions with a company through mm. Mm. conversational AI, through assist, digital assistance, to be things that we don't really think of. They're not contact center functions, they're company functions, suddenly, that you're interested in. And surely that experience is more at the core of why you're presented with that question anyway, because you're presented with that question because you can make a you can make a personal choice. But how often do people just click one or the other without even you know turning on the brain and thinking about it? Whereas in what you just suggested there, you are going to make an informed choice. Yeah. And how often do you call it out as part of your customer relationship with somebody? Again, it's baby back to those 1950s. It's like they're saying, hey, can I bill the uh, sales agent who just dealt with you? Do you mind if I send you a few things that come through? Uh, you can actually have a relationship about them. Usually these days we see marketing preferences. Yes, of course, people can go and change them. It's very, very important. Again, we're all familiar with the rules and regulations around that, but we don't therefore prompt people a lot. It's almost like we've got your preferences, we'll just keep them. And if you happen to get mm. a sneaky bit of the UI where you can change them, by all means, go ahead and change them. But here you could be open. You could actually talk to people about it. Um, mm. Yeah, I don't know where that goes, but you could, you can, it's fascinating, it? it can open up a whole new scope that it can change the nature mm. of their actions. And did, am I right in thinking, because I, I, I read this and I think you've spoken about it, that um, Sandy made a sale? <laughs> yes. I don't want to overstate it. It's a very simple sale. We sell some ancillary products in travel, such as car parking and various things. They're very basic. And we didn't do any. It wasn't a beautiful API to API call of everything just in the conversational layer. It was using the redirection of, hey, I've got you need this thing. I've got friends who can help you with that and sending people to a white label product where they then converted. The interesting thing we were really testing is I, well, me and the team building it, genuinely did not believe that that was a path that would work. Like, would you trust a bot enough, whether it was through white labeled referral or through doing it in the conversational air. We didn't start doing it in the conversational air because that's quite a lot of work. <laughs> Something you don't believe <laughs> that was quite a lot of work. But would people trust it? And the answer is mm. yes, they do. Now, we're not pushing in such a way that I can answer that with like, yes, 10,000 people have done it in the last mm. month. We're not, uh, we're not pushed it to that level, but it still happens week on week. A chatbot's making referral sales. So there is a lot... There is a relationship, there is a trust piece there, which we do intend mm. to explore and exploit in the future. Because, um, again, it's allowing us to get, I'm going to come back to that 1950s piece, if we can actually talk to people from their perspective, contact centres, the greatest examples of contact centres have the allowance of time to be able to say to a customer, hey, I've also noticed in your booking these things are missing. Yeah. But they're, they're targeted on upselling. They may not do them just on the things that are just needed. Mm. Mm. And we can start to do those through a chatbot. So, yeah, we can sell. We could even help somebody fill in their visa application form by taking them through a partner site. You've got some intriguing form-filling capabilities with a conversational assistant that it knows so much about you. It can, we all use it every day when we use Google to fill in a website. They could use that for helping people. Yeah. Customer experience as well. So I think there's, yes, we sold 
But what it really, what we're really exploring is would people trust? Would people change their interaction with a chatbot from just, oh, I can't even get my own phraseology between chatbot and assistant, but would they move, I guess, from that chatbot relationship to an assistant relationship and say, hey, do you know something? Can you help me with something outside of what I just spoke about? And yeah, it, yeah, sales, it's surprising. <laughs> yeah. There's a few ways well, that not- people are like, are you not meant to be a support team? Why are you selling? <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> yeah, we've never felt the need to apologise. But uh, so it's an, a really an interesting one. I think it's, I think probably the experiment the most interesting because we could, I think it's got a lot of growth potential in it. Mm. What else excites you then about the, the? And obviously, there's a lot of work, a lot of work to do. And um, but when you, if you allow yourself to have those kind of um blue sky moments what, what excites you about where this could go i, I think i'm really lucky martin because i'm living in the world where we're bringing all that blue sky to reality um that's great okay. so where do we think it goes i think it has this really interesting idea your digital system will always be there to help customers with most requests but interesting that same digital assistant could live with us in the contact center as well so we, there's no reason why we, we've tried lots of different ways of using um, Google's products and I'm obsessed with Google products. Just, I like their conversational AI setup in dialogue flow. We're trying to find ways with Savio as well, working with us on these to look, to do agent assistance. And we found a few ways not to do it. We put some big investments in place and didn't really shift the dial that much, but now we've, we have found the bits that are really helpful to agents, which is, the, I talked about it really briefly, filling in complicated forms from data that you mine through a conversation through using the same learned responses, but tailored to a customer in a conversational environment, be that chat, be that other channels. Um, so it's kind of this bringing together of using this sort of our data, a, a conversational AI, to help the customer all the way through their journey, whether that be augmenting the agent so they can mm-hmm. focus on the customer and not some of the, the basics of the actions the customer needs, or even just typing long-winded replies to actually focusing on the change that the customer needs. Um, but I don't think it stops there. This is the interesting bit we've learned. So you could make a great customer experience, handle a lot of the stuff in that, in automation, in a system, you could make a better working environment for agents by speeding them up a bit and taking some of the oil out of every day. Um, but where it really gets interesting is where you bring it together with the digital experience, the native app, the website, and you can condense it all into one. So a great experience for a customer. If you came to me and said, hey, I need to change my flight, I want you know an extra seat and another bag if i could have the conversation with you of what you need and really mine the information for intents and purposes in contact center language pop that in a ticket and have somebody work on it over the ticketing is very time sensitive times price mm-hmm. effectively but have someone work on it with a suitable sla that the price wouldn't shift i suddenly could take all the customer effort out of it so I can use a what feels like a normal agent interaction at the front of an experience to learn to be that 1950s context and conversation 
they can put it in a ticket, which we all know is one of the most efficient ways to deal with anything. Um, to then push that back up into the digital experiences, either through push notifications saying, hey, you just need to accept a five pound price shift or even just, we're done, it's completed. Mm -hmm. When you bring them all together, suddenly you've got that contact center. I think that most of us have dreamt about for quite a long time, which is creating data to help evolve the product. It's creating great customer connections for people. And it's also emitting enough information to keep customers happy so you don't get that repeat cycle. But it's also there for when people need complexity, automotive things handling, that they can just come through. And our, we build our digital assistants to, I don't know if you've tried our digital assistant, but it doesn't try to keep you away from agents. It just tries to help on its own merit. Mm -hmm. And if you want to speak to an agent, we get you through to speak to an agent. And more and more, we're learning customers. So we actually, I think to some customer surprise, sometimes say, hey, here's a phone number, just phone us. <laughs> this isn't going to work. <laughs> no, this doesn't work in chat. So, phone us now we're here and it's those kind of decisions that's that are really great. yeah it's and that's early days for all of those things but we're getting there and it's that so where does it go i think it goes down to to that level we've piously i think might be misusing that word but called it the compassionate routing engine so that this idea that we can connect you to a digital assistant in the digital product and then make decisions for you and actually route you in the right way, whether that be a quick bit of self-service or hold on the phone to speak to an agent, we can make those decisions really quickly for you with data and a couple of questions. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know. That's where I hope we will be in 18 months from now as a contact center. Well, let's, let's schedule in another one to come back and, and, and revisit and hear and hear what else is happening because it's um it's fascinating and we can't we can't do all your great work justice in in the time that we that we have i would definitely recommend people follow you on linkedin because you talk about this kind of stuff on there as well don't you i do yeah i um would yeah and it's the conversation so i know i talk about it a lot but there's one reason i speak publicly is for all the commentary i get afterwards agreeing and disagreeing um mm. And I think it's something that's been missing in the contact center world for a bit. We've done it in software engineering for many, many years where you kind of have meetups and chat about the discipline and the very thinking at the heart of it. And I think it's great to be bringing it back to the contact center and to the customer experience. Mm -hmm. Points of many. Couldn't, couldn't agree more. Couldn't agree more. Eugene Neal of Love Holidays, thank you so much. This has been um, fascinating. And let's um, let's reconnect and I can hear about all, what else you've been, what else you've been doing. Sure, I'd be delighted. It's been, a, I'm just quite surprised how quickly time's flown. I know. <laughs> I think we could talk about it for most of the day if I left my own devices. Um, so thank you for giving us the opportunity. I really appreciate it. Thank you, mate.